Okay. Um, welcome everyone um, to the audit and compliance meeting. I'm taking the chair. Here we go. And so um, we'll begin the meeting that. with roll call, please. Trustee Jensen. Here. Trustee Banerjee is not here. Trustee she quit. Here. Trustee Peterson. Here. We have a quorum. Thank you, Rana. And um, I won't be voting on the minutes, but I could. Uh, can we actually approve the minutes with two? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, um, well, and you can vote on them. You don't have to. Okay. I move I'll approval. Trust. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay. Our next. Our next item is a report and discussion from um, our VP for Compliance and Internal Audit, Mr. Kibler. Thank you, and welcome to the Audit and Compliance Committee. Uh, before we start, I would like to acknowledge one person, uh, Bonnie Leung. Uh, she's my uh, regulatory, privacy and regulatory counsel. Uh, yeah. uh, so she's one of the people that helped me set up the uh, compliance function when I started that uh, back in 2015. And I'm not used to having such a large audience, so I'll try not to get nervous. She's, she's highly regarded as both internal and external. Right? I get, she, goes, she goes to meetings and I get texts from people like, I love this bunny. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Okay, so with that being said, I'm going to go through my package and uh, jump in if you have any questions along the way. So I wanted to start off are you going to use, excuse me, are you going to use the slides or do the... Yes, oh, it was hidden. Okay. <laughs> you hit it. I think I can handle so this colorful. now. I just want to make sure that... Uh, so I wanted to start off with a compliance program update. And uh, just to help familiarize uh, Trustee Jensen, but, uh, you know, just a refresher for the rest of the committee. So there's seven basic components to a compliance program. And those are the written standards, the leadership oversight, education training, auditing and monitoring, communication, enforcement, uh, and response and prevention. Uh, so those are important because the federal government says that all organizations should have a compliance program, but you also have to demonstrate that the program is effective. So I just wanted to kind of refresh what I've done the last few months relating to this program uh, and then see if there's any questions from that. So as far as uh, leadership oversight, that was that's me, okay, and Bonnie and then Akimi Ren, my compliance director. But written standards, uh, in the last couple of months we've been going through all of the policies and updating all of those, kind of refreshing them. So. Uh, I have a list, mostly privacy, but a few compliance and enforcement policies, uh, just to make sure that the organization knows what they're responsible to do. And a lot of people have been getting assignments to uh, coming into policy text saying you have to read and acknowledge this policy. So now we have a communication link to make sure everyone understands that there's been an update and that uh, there's something that they have to abide for. And hopefully as we revise these, we make them a little bit more understandable so that people know what they're supposed to be uh, following. 
okay? Uh, and this last one, patient visitor cell phone electronic device, this has actually come up a number of times lately because we have uh, people wanting to record uh, the providers as they come into the patient room and unfortunately in some of those cases the provider doesn't either want them to record or they're recording the other patients that are in the rooms with them uh, which would then be inappropriate so we have to stop them from doing that. Uh, we had a recent incident where uh, unbeknownst to the staff a patient's family put a uh, video camera in the room and was broadcasting uh, so <laughs> that they could monitor their family member and it was like God. ah stop uh, there's problems with doing that so uh, a lot of things that we have to jump into and and I've been surprised at how many cases we've had that uh, related to this policy have you had any around just taking photographs of people that not even videos, just photographs of clients. Yes, yeah. yes. So uh, actually one good thing, when uh, I was doing one of the HIPAA walkthrough assessments, uh, every time we saw a violation, then I was doing it with one of my staff, they would pull out their camera and take a picture of the violation so that we could record it. And uh, some of you on the committee have seen those reports right. with the pictures in them. Uh, and I actually had a physician stop me and tell me I couldn't do that. Uh, we have a policy, and I said, yes, I know, it's my policy, and I explained who I was. They were like, oh, okay, I, I got it. Well, but, but you were happy to I, I was happy that they were trying to enforce the policy sure. and stop me from taking pictures. <laughs> so enforcement and discipline, uh, we've actually had uh, policies on that, but uh, based on some actions that happened last year, we realized how vague those policies were and that you couldn't really enforce any sanctions against anybody for anything. So it was like, okay, we're changing the policy uh, and basically on the uh, HIPAA sanctions policy, instead of having four levels of violation, you have two levels now. You either did it intentionally or you did it by accident. If you do it intentionally, then you're not here anymore. If you do it accidentally, you get a warning. If you do too many warnings, you're not here anymore. But we really beefed up the policy because we were, ha we were having too many uh, privacy violations. We wanted that to stop and we needed to make sure that everyone understood that that was termination offense. Can I, um, is this in the contract, is there, is there any um, language in the contract, in our labor contracts, to say, um, to advise that HIPAA violation isn't grounds for termination? Uh, I don't believe that that specific language is in there. It, what it does say is that you have to follow all company right. policies and we give them this uh, at hire, we reinforce it annually, uh, if there's a violation uh, in a specific area, we want the whole department retrained on privacy to make sure that they understand. Uh, a lot of those trainings I've done personally to make sure that they understand we don't tolerate this. And uh, I get a lot of questions, well, what if I do this way? Is that, yes, that's a violation also. You know, <laughs> 
So everyone kind of comes up with different rationale of why they think it's okay, and then I have to explain why it's not, and make I sure that we're all it, on the same page. The, excuse me, isn't there in the HIPAA orientations where it quotes the HIPAA requirements and it you know includes fines and all that stuff? Oh yes, up to fifty thousand yes. dollars or whatever it is. And, Termination. Depends on the individual yeah. the organization. Yeah. What do you find that are, what are people's, because I, I would imagine um, HIPAA's been around for a long time. Yes. And I would imagine that most people working in healthcare organizations, acute or ancillary or post acute, are, understand what it uh, applies to and what it means. But what, you know, as you say, there are people who either intentionally or uh, hopefully unintentionally violate the policy but what do you what do you hear staff say I did it to uh, to help the patient or help the physician or help the process somehow or usually it's because they're nosy they know the person they want to know what happened to them uh, or they say I was just trying to find their room number well you don't find their room number by looking at their medical records and it, a lot of it is just them being lazy that this, this is the easy way to do it. Uh, for instance, looking at your own medical records, you can do that through uh, Epic. You can go into uh, my chart, uh, the patient portal. Patient portal. You can look at your own records, <clears throat> and you'll get a subset. Uh, but going into the medical records, then you have the ability to modify things. And so that's inappropriate. But it's easier for them to go in and look at their own records on Epic than it is going uh, to the patient portal and logging in and looking it up that way. So it's it's a variety of things. Uh, sometimes they uh, say that it was part of their job, that they're required to see who's coming to their floor potentially and be ready for them. And to a certain uh, degree that's true but we have to draw the line someplace and we've given them uh, the guidance that they don't do that until they get a, a notice that a patient is going to be transferred then they can look at the records sort of that need to know requirement yes minimum mm -hmm. necessary is they, epic um, given you more tools to for compliance it has we have a function called break the glass and so certain people uh, get put in this category if you're uh, an employee, if you're a VIP, if you're uh, a behavioral health or substance oh. abuse, then anytime somebody goes, if they're not part of the care team, they have to break the glass to actually access that record and a report comes into compliance. And so we can look to see who's been accessing things and then determine if it's appropriate or not. And then my my final question, and I, I'm not sure, you know, this would be good to have at my own EPIC training, but for example, what if someone was to come in on a cruise ship into Oakland and they were transferred to um, to this hospital? Would that be break the glass? Or, or alternatively, what if um, there was an employee in the hospital who wanted to know if anyone in the hospital had um, been tested for coronavirus yeah <clears throat> uh, so that would <clears throat> they would not automatically be put under break the glass uh, if it was deemed necessary if they got uh, 
uh, special orders from our medical staff saying put these under because we don't want anyone snooping, uh, then registration could do that. Otherwise, they would be open, but uh, it would be pretty difficult to find. And uh, I would uh, suspect that if there was rumors that one of those patients did come here, uh, somebody would be looking because they would want to know if it was in their area and if they need to call in sick that day. So, <laughs> or the next. Thanks. Okay. We'll be, sorry. <laughs> Rick's, Rick's a compliance officer, so his, his lens is always, you know, people being compliant or not. I have to, uh, the role of balancing this with, you know, <laughs> a little bit of uh, generosity to, to, to people's better angels. Uh, uh, so, I agree with everything you said. I would probably caveat that the, um, the first part of your question around uh, if we were to get a uh, patient from a cruise ship, uh, I think the likelihood is that it would, uh, that the person would be put on a brick to glass uh, for the purposes of all the uh, sensitivity around uh, uh, the, the matter. And uh, so that's the only sort of added. And, and I would hope, I think, that we're doing a, a, a fair amount of um, education and awareness for our workforce that people will uh, so far, what we've seen is people aren't calling in, and we have had a lot of staffing, uh, and across the unit or across the organization. So I think people, we've we've, we've promoted preparedness without um, uh, anxiety. Uh, so we'd hope to keep that up. Right. I, you know, I just think back to the um, the HIV virus, and mm -hmm. and and when people act, you know, people in organizations, healthcare organizations at that time tended to be less educated and less aware and, and, and more much more scared that somehow. But there is a lot of, of, of mixed messages out there and, and there have point in fact been uh, um, healthcare providers across the world who have, uh, and locally too, who have um, um, con you know, contracted or, or, or got um, tested positive after caring for a patient. So, so some of it is founded, um, but we're trying to make sure that we're exercising every precaution. And as of um, now, you know, we haven't had any um, positive cases in the organization. Just, yeah, thank you. Okay, so getting back to the enforcement and discipline, one of the things that we uh, noticed the last couple of years is uh, um, Sanctions against employees was uh, not done in a consistent manner. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we've implemented uh, last year was that anytime there is a violation of a compliance policy, then I work with legal and HR to make sure that discipline is consistent. So we, we look at what we've done in the past for the same types of violations. We look at the policies and how they're laid out, what it uh, suggests to do, and make sure that we do the same thing case by case. Because uh, we don't want to be terminating one person for a violation and then have another person do the exact same thing and we slap them on the hand or uh, you know, tell them that's okay. So consistency is our motto and we've been working together on this for the last uh, year to make sure we do things the same. Okay, compliance training. So we've 
been doing a lot of this lately. Uh, we're still doing Leadership Academy. We have a three and a half hour compliance skills lab, which isn't quite enough, but uh, it, it keeps us busy. Uh, we've gone through over 300 uh, members of management in the last year and a half. Uh, we just did a, a, a session at John George, and we've got an, another session coming up uh, corporately in April. Uh, so we're doing, in conjunction with legal department, we're doing physician conflict of interest training, uh, just to make sure that they understand what the rules are, and that uh, as we file Form 700, if they have any potential conflicts, that they uh, disclose those so that we can determine uh, if there's action that needs to be taken uh, from an organization standpoint. Uh, star, so this is I see some question marks. Uh, yeah, I'm just confused. Looks. I mean, Form 700 is usually for uh, So what we've found is that uh, there's a website that shows all payments made to a provider, a okay. physician, uh, from a drug manufacturer or device manufacturer. And if our physicians are involved in developing our formularies and they're getting payments from drug manufacturers, that would be potentially a conflict. So we're looking at that and saying, okay, you know, what are your interests? What are you doing? Are you involved in this kind of stuff? Uh, and if you are, then you need to recuse yourself from voting on anything that you're relating to. Uh, so we're, we're covering the bases now from an educational standpoint. So do, you, do uh, the training that you do at John George, do you, you obviously add on to the, um, to the requirements? You know, there's additional requirements for alcohol and drug. You know, 5328 of the W&I code talks about confidentiality and, you know, the, the breach of it is a lot more significant than it is for, for the rest of the population. Right. Uh, so we cover basic privacy stuff and uh, anything that's done at John George Behavioral Health is falls under break the glass so it is more private mm -hmm. uh, and we we cover that as part of the presentation um, sorry I want I wanted to go back to your question uh, yeah <laughs> um, so because uh, I, 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 I sense you were wondering why we were doing further education for Form 700, right? For Form 700. Yeah, so, so it's for um, elected officials or government employees who can influence business decisions. Oh, yeah. Is that broad? Okay. Yeah, it's pretty broad. So we, we look to any uh, um, degree of uh, leadership or workforce that has any substantial impact on major decisions. Okay. So Good. we have physicians who are impacting drug selections mm -hmm. or things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, this gets you the point that Rick is making if they are also involved in work that may have an undue or the potential to look like a conflict, yeah. uh, then we, we're tracking it in both cases and educating sense. them okay. about that. that Good. It's, uh, it's helpful. That's where one place for state statutes helping out. So there's a process there. How many, so you, this is your your reporting on the training. Then how do you test the compliance? Uh. <laughs> oh, that was a pause. <laughs> uh, so one of the ways that we test is that we will be reviewing all of the Form 700s that are filed and 
make sure that uh, people have disclosed the items that we've already seen out there, uh, and we'll be doing this on an ongoing basis. But then there's a lot of uh, physicians that would not be filing because they're not uh, a designated official. Mm -hmm. And so we will be uh, taking a little bit deeper dive with some of those. We will be looking at who is uh, involved in establishing formularies or uh, right. negotiating contracts and then looking at payments that they've received to make sure that there's no potential conflict there. And you'll probably do a sampling. I was going to say, yeah. I, I think in this case, um, my understanding um, is um, just like for the non-physicians, Form 700 is, is not something that we um, take as a form that we validate in any way that you know, people have reported it, everything. Uh, but it is expected that people are doing proper disclosures so that it is sort of a retroactive or retrospective thing. So that, um, to Rick's point, if there were a report um, elsewhere in the public uh, sphere that said, you know, this particular provider got this payment, it would provide a tool for us to make sure that that, um, that, that relationship was properly disclosed. Right. Uh, there is also, and I think this was part of the training too, um, there's some language in the medical staff bylaws, so the medical staff uh, sort of self-policing themselves, uh, or self-policing, um, um, have some requirements around um, uh, disclosures of okay. uh, uh, relationships, and I think this uh, education and um, uh, effort was designed to make sure that they were either creating mechanisms themselves to ensure that during the credentialing process that they were um, uh, validating these things if that's what was called for to be compliant with the medical staff bylaws and or addressing whether that was an appropriate thing for them to have since that they would be able to monitor it as well. I don't, I don't know where that landed, but I, I recall that being part of the... Uh, it, it is, and uh, <clears throat> I think as a result of all this work, we will uh, potentially be making some recommendations to the Medical Executive Committee to update their bylaws and, and change some of the language because... Uh, or we have to come up with the enforcement mechanism because you can't leave it the way it is without putting something in place. Um, can I? Yeah. <laughs> I was Go just going to, I don't, it's, so I don't lose the thought. It, can you come back and report on uh, the next steps as uh, those emerge? Yes. Sorry. Trustee Peterson, did I? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, we're also do, we've done care management referral <coughs> training. Uh, so this was as a result of the uh, Amity situation back in September, where a 115 million dollar uh, fraud scheme for kickbacks for referrals. And so we've been training all of care management, anyone that makes referrals, to make sure that they understand what the rules are and what the consequences are. Uh, my fear is that this <clears throat> investigation is not over. They made initial arrests, and as they uh, interrogate the people that have been arrested, uh, there's a potential that more people will be named. And what I don't want to happen is to have somebody from here named in conjunction with that case. Uh, because the consequences are they would uh, you know, be arrested, they might go to jail, 
they might be fined, they might lose their license, uh, they would lose their employment, they could be sanctioned uh, from participating in government activity. I mean, it's serious Oh, and there's risk to the stuff. institution. Serious okay. risk, yeah. Uh, so I've got a couple of makeup sessions to do because a few people missed the training uh, that I held, but I've done it at uh, Alameda, San Leandro, and Highland, uh, and probably hit 95, 97% of the uh, care management staff, and we'll pick up stragglers later. Okay, uh, so response and prevention. Uh, so any issue that's reported to compliance, either through the compliance hotline or directly to us, is triaged and we come up with an action plan of how we're going to do that based on the risk and uh, what the issue is. Uh, if it's not something that we would normally investigate, we refer that to the appropriate area, such as HR or risk safety. Uh, to get them to investigate and we monitor all actions until they're closed out. Now unfortunately the list of items that are open is getting longer and longer Absolutely. because some of these take a lot of time to close out. Mm -hmm. And uh, as if you read the written report, uh, it's an all-time high mm -hmm. uh, number of, of issues. Uh, Probably 60% of those are HR related, and we've referred those to HR. And a lot of those, so at least 10% of those are duplicates. Uh, some people think that if they report it multiple times, we'll take action faster, uh, but it looks like it's the same person reporting it, and then they wait three days, and then they report it again, and then they wait three days, and it's like, okay, we, we hear you. <laughs> But if they report it anonymously, the only thing that we can do is put some follow-up items out there on the website and hope that they go out and do some follow-up and see that, yes, we acknowledge their report and we're doing something about it. Uh, so we're, we're working on, on getting those things uh, down because we don't like that many open cases. And then so, we're kind of like, which one do we address first? Uh, so my understanding, are you saying the backlog might be in HR? Uh, there's definitely a backlog in HR, but there's a backlog in our department also. And it's, is there something unique going on, or is it just a, a fluke? Uh, so right now, we've actually been spending a lot of time with Epic. I was wondering. And yeah. So I thought we I haven't had one. the time to devote to the investigations. We have one person working investigations. The rest of us are are kind of uh, giving guidance to the EPIC team and the Billings team because we want to resolve as many of the billing issues as possible. And yeah, that makes that makes complete sense. I was, yeah, I was wondering about that. Great. Okay, so under auditing and monitoring, we. We talked about break the glass, so we've got a lot of uh, reports coming out, and we're still trying to figure out how we, you know, this is the first somewhat proactive tool that we've had for privacy. 
but it's pretty overwhelming. We're mm -hmm. trying to, to figure out exactly what we do with this, how we monitor this on a routine basis, and uh, one of the things that we're going to have to do is develop some reports uh, so that we look at specific people, like uh, if somebody from Alameda Alliance gets access to EPIC and they're supposed to be looking at Alameda Alliance patients, then how do we run a report on their access to make sure they're not looking at anybody that's not Alameda Alliance? So right now we trust them, but trust is not uh, the best control. So we want to make sure that we can track their uh, work and, and there's a lot of people that have gotten access to EPIC. Uh, we don't get involved in allowing the access, but we're going to have to come up with ways of monitoring. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, so we're doing the physician, looking at physician payments. We're going to be doing, like I said, deeper dives into that to see what they're getting paid for, what they're involved in here. Do we have a problem? Uh, we've been doing the 340B audits. Uh, we got that down to a 0% error rate in Sorian, and then we turned on Epic, and it went back up. Yeah, not surprising. Uh, so we're working through that to make sure that we, we get that taken care of, because that's a, a huge liability on our books if we it seems like it's messing up. Reading correctly from the report, uh, it seems a lot has a lot to do with this not having a certain number attached to a prescription. The, the UD modifier. modifier. The modifier. So is that just a um, personal failure um, in the job, or is there? Can, can you just give us a little bit more? A little bit more. Yeah. Just the the modifier. I mean, I know with the 340B, I, I have a broad understanding of the program and the rebate and the. And it's the just so impactful. But yeah. It is, and there's so many steps involved, and that's the problem. Is that it? Okay. Uh, so. Basically, if we buy a 340B drug, we're getting it at a discount, and we have to report it when we bill to Medi-Cal, we have to report that it was a 340B drug by attaching the UD modifier. If we don't put a UD modifier on it, the state says, oh, they didn't, it's, this is 340B and they didn't get it at a discount, so they ask the manufacturer for a rebate, which is essentially the discount we would have gotten. Got it. And so if it turns out that we did buy it at 340B, now the state has given us a discount, or the manu manufacturer has given us a discount and the state a discount, we have to make the manufacturer whole and give back the discount that we accepted. So pharmacy buys the stuff, they notify the CDM area in Revenue Integrity. Revenue Integrity puts it into the system and then when the claim bills out, it should pick up that information and bill it with the modifier. It's more complicated now because of EPIC because now you have the Willow team in EPIC that has to take that information from the CDM and update it to EPIC. And so you've got an extra step in there and somehow we're losing some of these transac transactions in 
the translation they're not getting onto the claim or some of the logic in Epic is not picking up that information when it does the build. And so there's a combination of things and so we're having to go back, look at the, the back end and say what was built out, did it have a modifier, if not, trace it back and figure out why and then give instructions to uh, the Epic team or Revenue integrity. But won't it eventually be a, be able to be just cross-referenced immediately, depending on the patient's whether the patient's medical and whether the drug is on the. No, no, no. Because it depends on the setting that the drug was administered and a, a couple of other things. So, so what Rick is describing is is uh, right. But so so you have a sense of kind of how does it bounce back and forth. So. After you know, under Sorian, uh, we had the whole you know set of hiccups, and we fixed them. When we went into the Epic build, now you have you know you take that information, you put it into the build, but this build now is uh, in an entirely different uh, process by which to do kind of the rev cycle part of the work. So you have uh, a lot of that work pushed upstream, and you have the the flow of the work going through different channels. So. Uh, you can do kind of your, your let's say your broad base, this is how it works, and plug it into the system, and then you're gonna catch things that the system didn't contemplate when you go through an audit to say, okay, well here's a patient who got this particular drug in the outpatient setting, uh, which then qualifies it for 340B purposes, and, and for some reason it didn't show it up on this bill. bill. Did, did the person put it in on the front end and somehow it got pulled off? Did they forget to put it in and somehow it made it through a filter? You know, all those sorts of things. So you're plugging, you're constantly using a sort of iterative process to plug holes where you weren't clear how the build worked relative to what you were actually trying to achieve. So 5% on balance is actually not that bad. I mean, of course the goal is zero. Uh, the beauty of the work and the process in place is we're catching this soon enough. So the audit allows right. them to say, hey, we caught this, now we have the chance before the state, because the state, the process that he described where the state goes and tries to get the discount happens several months hence when we report to the state, hey, we've already claimed X, Y, Z, or we didn't claim it, and then they figure it out. So we have the process, we have the ability now to catch that, go back and change it before the state goes back and audits and says what's out here that you didn't claim so that we can yeah. go and get it. Mind you, all of this is gonna go away soon, because the state is doing their own, um, uh, they're pulling prescription benefit, uh, prescription drug benefit out of Medi-Cal and creating their own state-based uh, purchasing for um, um, for drugs, uh, which is going to drive the discount to the overall Medi-Cal program and actually removes the 340B discount from the uh, uh, the approved <coughs> entities that have it. Part of the state budget, the governor's budget now, is to try to figure out how to. Uh, get money or dollars back to those entities. Largely, uh, they had started with uh, federally qualified health centers and they were non-hospital based, but we figured out or through some advocacy uh, broadened that so that the rest of us who were hospital based or who were uh, health systems, I say to that, that operated um, um, FQHCs, because not all of us do have the ability now to participate. We're still trying to figure out where it's going to land in the budget to figure out if the amount that we get now will be 
able to be recovered through this new thing when it goes into place. So, so this is something we have to continue to monitor now and get right so that we don't have the risk that we've had historically. Uh, but eventually, this uh, if this all goes through, it won't be. Once we perfect it, it'll be gone. So. Well, then we'll just have a different set and of it'll challenges. Change, yeah. Yeah, have to comply yeah. with a new system. Exactly. <laughs> you start from zero. And try to try to keep the dollars. So, anyway, but that's that's kind of why you have a little bit of the back and forth, which is frustrating to all of us, uh, but the beauty of it is is the system now allows us to catch it soon enough that we are, we're less vulnerable to having to do recoupments. When we had the Surian hiccup, uh, I remember it was big dollars. Uh, five million, six million, am I right? Uh, it may so in 2015, it yeah. was uh, about five million dollars on duplicate discount. Uh, Last year, when we did the audit and identified the issues, we projected it's uh, in the neighborhood of 3.8 million potential liability, and we're we've, we're still working on that now. Right. Uh, hopefully, this week we will be done with the calculation of the liability, uh, and we will start the negotiations with so manufacturers. This is real money. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> real money. Okay. So under auditing and monitor. Monitoring, we're still doing exclusion screening on a monthly basis, and fortunately, we have not identified anybody uh, that has been hired that was excluded. Uh, so that's a good thing since that cost us money in the past. Uh, and working on the EPIC uh, billing and documentation stuff. So here's the results of our last Medi-Cal uh, 340B audit. And I'm saying that Medi-Cal because we did Medicare also, and it's a completely different program, but similar. So we had gotten it down to 0% in both Sorian and the two Meditech systems. Uh, we had sustained that for several months, but came up with 5% in January when we did the EPIC audit. Uh, so 763 items, 53 different drugs. Uh, we're going to be rebilling all of those and making the corrections so that they go out accurately in the future until the program And goes we're catching away. it upstream as uh, we're, yeah, the CEO we're, just described. So it's a different experience than being in retrospect and actually having to pay the, the state back. Right? Yeah, if we process, reprocess them now, uh, we will not be repaying anything. We remedy the situation. Okay, good. But, but you have to do that within six months of uh, mm -hmm. receiving the payment or it's too late. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, so we have gotten a, a file from the state uh, to show exactly what they got rebate or asked manufacturers for rebates for so that we could do a more accurate calculation of our liability. Uh, we don't want to be repaying uh, manufacturers based on uh, a guess. Okay, uh, so we did have the 3.8 million calculation from the internal data, but we want to know more accurately what the state took money on. And, and there's actually some where we didn't buy them at uh, 340B, so we would have no liability. Uh, we just need to make sure we identify all those so that we, we can negotiate in good faith. Okay. Uh, the Medicare 340B audit, much better. It's a 0.3% error rate. Uh, there weren't that many items in the, the sample. I mean, this is in 19. 
100% audit. So we identify every claim, we look at the transactions, and we had one error. And Is that we, the one out of 20? <coughs> that's one out of, oh, that's January 20th. Oh, thank you. Uh, January because the math wasn't working for me. I'm not great at math, but I No, so I, I'm keeping record. I do the month and the year that it, the audit was done and what the that error rate was. And the next time we do the audit, I will update it with the current date. I'm, I'm with you. Completely with you. <laughs> but you can see that. that Significant progress. Yeah. So right. you know, five percent down, two point three. Uh, well, no, this is Medicare. Oh, I'm sorry. The other this one is was Medicare. Gotcha. Thank you. Uh, Thank so you. we will be doing uh, another audit shortly uh, before we transition that work. Once we get the initial bugs worked out, we'll be transitioning the audit uh, to the pharmacy area to do on a routine basis. But getting the reports developed and and making sure they're accurate, I think we need to be involved in that. Uh, just because we have more expertise in that area. So are you saying that the you, the audit will sort of be uh, concentrated within the pharmacy as a yes. responsibility? And then you'll have a compliance oversight role. Got it. That makes sense. Because yes. I worry about how much is with uh, your team. So that's a way to manage it. Yeah, so uh, I'm involved with the 340B Oversight Committee. I stay in tune with what's going on, but uh, I think pharmacy really should take some ownership of this uh, once we get a process developed. Got it. Uh, but I, I would worry if we allowed them to develop the process that uh, it wouldn't accurately reflect what the, the results are. Okay, so that was it for compliance activities. I uh, want to talk about a couple of audit reports that uh, we did in the last quarter. Uh, the first one is the self-funded benefit plan. And the reason that I looked at this was because I kept hearing reports from HR that uh, we were making money or we were minimizing the expense by doing self-funding on our benefit plan instead of buying insurance from Kaiser or United or whoever. And being the skeptical person I am, I didn't believe it. That's and your job. So I audited to see Chief if skeptic. we were actually uh, saving money by self-insuring or Saw if that. we might should consider changing back. Uh, so basically, uh, you understand the self-funding part. We're paying the claims. So this is only a portion of our employee base that, that take our own plan, and we encourage them to come about to. About 15% or something? Uh, I think it's a little higher, but it maybe 20. Yeah. But uh, a lot of people take Kaiser. A lot of people have the uh, Anthem. Uh, but. We've gotten a, a number of people to uh, do the self-funding, and we encourage them to get our, their services at AHS, which is even better, because then we're paying ourselves for claims instead of having uh, to pay on the experience with other uh, insurers. So we were basically looking at the accuracy and timeliness of recording the expenses. Uh, looking at the claims data for accuracy, 
look, we did not do member eligibility because HR was doing that separately uh, based on the fact that they thought that there might be some uh, people enrolled in our plan that were not eligible. The dependent eligibility? Yes. Yeah. So, but we were looking at who they, we were paying claims for to make sure that they were identified on the policy. So if you weren't a covered dependent, you shouldn't be uh, getting a claim paid. Uh, looking at the security of data and the total cost compared to a non-funded plan. And basically we found out that we were actually saving money. It was 20 to 30 percent over what it would cost right. if we farmed this out to another insurer. So that was a good thing. Yeah. But we did find a couple of issues. Uh, so we weren't really verifying the claims that we received. It was kind of, they sent us a file and said, here's all the claims we paid. And we said, thank you. And we paid the bill. Right. So, uh, so we need to do yeah. some spot checking of that uh, to make sure that those are all valid members that they're paying claims for and they're not slipping some things in or making some duplicate payments or something like that. Uh, so I don't, I don't think this question's for this committee, but I don't know where else to ask it. Maybe the chair of the HR committee would be a good person to give it to. But it seems to me when you have a uh, program that's successful at saving dollars like this, and we very, seem to have very few of those in, this, <laughs> in the system, uh, not our fault, but it's just uh, the w way uh, we're in relationships with our stakeholders. But I think when we had this situation, we, we certainly want to push uh, much greater penetration, I would think, um, much greater than 15%. So um, is there a conversation, has there been a conversation at HR and or at, at, at management about trying to incentivize um, this, uh, more employees into this approach as opposed to the uh, traditional health plans? Well, I know um, you can respond, Dovek. I think it's incentivized because it's more, it's cheaper. Right, it's it, less expensive for. It is uh, in in general, and it has been. No, no, no. It, it it it's sort of mixed, I would say. Uh, and so, uh, my understanding is it's 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 generally incentivized, and uh, furthermore, we created structures based off of the way that the uh, system has come together, where uh, in some cases. Uh, uh, the options for uh, the benefits are less, and so we've had uh, uh, penetration uh, increase by virtue of that construct um, uh, as well. There is still a, um, there's levels of, of benefit that occur based off of the utility of the, uh, the benefit from uh, the various levels that exist. So there is a, do you use a system, um, like, like mm -hmm. our system for care, or do you use the rest of the network? And so there can be variations there, as well as there are other sort of market factors that then drive what Kaiser, or uh, mainly Kaiser, uh, which is the alternative, uh, does as a result. And so we have to be nimble enough to say, you know, in some cases, and depending on the uh, profile of the employee, um, it actually doesn't make as much sense. So, right. so it's not sort of a, a universal slam dunk um, right. um, when you look at it on, on different levels. But would you say it's significantly higher than 50% uh, 
Uh, yeah, 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 I think so. Well, you, you said 15% or 15? I, I understand the penetration level is 15% of our 15, employees. 15, 20, that's yeah, 20 is what you said. Yeah, I, I actually I missed that. I have to go back because I thought it was significantly higher, but um, I can go back and check that. Um, yeah, let me. Let me it, it, you know, I mean, I, I'll, I'll say from the finance committee perspective, uh, uh, we've got to find savings. Of course. And, and uh, particularly in labor. Uh, and we have, we know now, we have some early indications from um, our adaptive, our insights, uh, analytical insights, mm -hmm. that, uh, software that uh, we're doing some crunching that we don't stack up well on the benefit side right. for, for labor. Uh -huh. And so, uh, you know, I think this is a place to collaborate with labor to find a way not to diminish benefits while realizing a savings. Yeah, yeah. A question is, is the 20% is 20% the 20 of the total including Kaiser or is it 20% of the 65% the, uh, of the employees? 20% the would be total employee population. Oh, okay. So 35% right. so of the employees are Kaiser, right? Okay. So you're never going to get, you're not going to get them as long as well, Kaiser. Yeah, I was going to say, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what that's what yeah. I think it is, is of the total. And then, yeah, no, actually relative so, to so it's other like, employers. Right. We, it's more uh, like 30-something percent, right? Yeah, my, my understanding was it was close to 40. Yeah, 37 yeah. percent. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah so that makes it. If you take 65 percent, it's like 37 yeah. percent. So I can't give you reasons why people aren't in this plan, but, but one of the things that I've heard in the past is uh, they worry about having services at Highland because of confidentiality, because no, other, yeah. Yeah. Just gave us a report about that. would be looking at their records. You're right. However, under break the glass, that exposure is limited. Is, uh, because is that something we, we market? A, I don't. I don't actually. So, so I, that's a fair point. But that's that's not the main driver for this, as far as we know. It, it really is. I mean, Kaiser's a very uh, competitive uh, offering and yeah. the fact that people are in you know it's kind of Kaiser's one of those things that particularly of late is once you're in you're in it's kind of like somebody was telling me about putting a right. kid in private school is like once you've done it you've done it you know so that's why I'm fighting it um, right uh, but uh, but it's one of those things where I mean they to their credit have created a very robust product that people who uh, 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 are attracted to it are actually comport their lives around it because they do a lot of stuff to make it uh, uh, user friendly, uh, even when it requires you to make some some adjustments to your own uh, life. So, so we are we are an anomaly in the market, but largely again because of some of the things that we've done to artificially create that construct where you know some people don't have Kaiser as an option. Yeah. So we we I actually I think on balance my understanding is we're. we're we're on the opposite side where people are wondering how we've done so well, and that's yeah. really yeah. Yeah. Well, we great. Had the choice. Yeah. Okay, uh, so the second issue was performing management fee verification, and so we were getting charged administrative fees by HealthComp and Anthem based on the number of eligible employees, but we really couldn't verify what that number was to, to verify the accuracy of the calculations because uh, we couldn't get anyone to explain where they were getting the number that was being reported and so we we need to work on that part to make sure we're paying for exactly who is covered and uh, hopefully that'll be cleaned up uh, as part of this eligibility process and working with the uh, uh, health plans uh, so we also had an issue with posting 
the uh, IVNR refunds. So we were getting refunds and we were posting them to the wrong account in some mm -hmm. cases. So it looked like the expenses were higher than they should have been. Uh, so we got uh, accounting to change those postings into the right account and made it look a little bit better. Uh, but we were still making money overall. Yeah. And that was corrected <coughs> during the audit. And then we had uh, uh, the vendor contract was not in the contract database. I saw that. So when we first started the audit, we were like, okay, let's see what's going on. And there's no contract. And, and so we went to HR and we got a copy of the contract and we did a handoff to contracting and said, get this thing loaded and make sure that it goes through our contracting and legal departments before we enter into another agreement. Okay. okay. Any other questions about that one? Uh, so the next audit that we did was the AHP and Oak Care mm -hmm. financial arrangements. And this is a, a... When did you start this one? When did we this start? This was done it? in 2019 through, throughout the year, is that correct? Or? Uh, so we started uh, probably <coughs> around first of the fiscal year, okay. uh, July, August. Thanks. Uh, and it, it took a while because uh, getting the data and going through all the gyrations, uh, it was not easy. Okay, but uh, so the, the groups, both AHP and Oak Care, uh, assign all the rights to the billing to AHP, which then comes to us. So we wanted to make sure we were capturing that data correctly, and we wanted to make sure we were paying them correctly because there's a lot of contracts, and uh, Oak Care contract is huge. I mean, that's uh, a big part of our physician payments. So, you know, how do we verify that? What do we do with it? Uh, are we calculating it correctly and uh, what potential merger of the two, then are we capturing things right? Do we negotiate right going forward? Right. We want to base the merger on, uh, on the assumptions that are correct. So. Yes. Uh, so basically, again, we were looking at accuracy and timeliness of payments, uh, that, we were, uh, that we had contracts in place. Uh, that the payments were based on the contract limits and that we weren't overpaying anything uh, and that invoices received adequately supported what they were doing. Okay, uh, so based on our analysis, we didn't see any real significant issues with the contract arrangements and the only thing that we found really was that when the contracting group reconciled the Oak Care contract and made sure that the rates were proper. They did it for clinicians only. And we found errors in the amount for the administrative uh, services that were being provided as the contract. They weren't huge, but if we say we're gonna pay $100 an hour and they bill us 110, uh, we needed to cut that back and we weren't doing that. So. We asked them to go through and finish the reconciliation, make sure that everything was in accordance with the contract, uh, and that you know we we pay accordingly. Because one thing I hate to see is overpaying 
the contracted amount. And if it says not to exceed, it, it should not exceed without doing a contract amendment and getting Ahmad involved. Which, by the way, you guys all know Ahmad, right? But he's been sitting there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't introduce him at the start. Yes, right. Okay, so any questions about that? I was. Nope. Expecting it's better than you, that's better than expected, actually. Yeah, for me, it's good. It's good news. Okay, so other reports. Uh, annual plan is on time at the moment. Now there have been some staffing issues in uh, internal audit and compliance. Uh, so one of the things that uh, I was identifying as an issue was uh, work relating to the institutional review board. IRB uh, that a lot of times they would bring forth a project research project that was funded by an outside entity and they got approval from the IRB saying it would not cause patient harm they were off and running uh, they never went to contracts they never went through legal and the money was either negotiated directly with one of our physicians or with uh, Oak Care and AHS management didn't know anything about that. And so I started working on developing some processes to get better control of projects going through the IRB. And as part of that, I ended up with the IRB coordinator being transferred to compliance. <laughs> Which is one way to get control of it. I, yes, I own the person that coordinates it. <laughs> I think they call that merger acquisition. Unfortunately, <laughs> he right wasn't voluntold. Voluntold. <laughs> he was volunteered. Yes. <laughs> right after transferring to compliance, <laughs> the coordinator resigned for a position at Kaiser. Oh. <laughs> oh. And so uh, I have been recruiting. Uh, Bonnie and Akimi have been stepping in to keep the IRB projects moving uh, and we have hired a new uh, IRB uh, coordinator that will be starting next week. And, how uh, many IRB, like just off the top, how many are there at any one time? When you say are there any projects? members of the IRB or how many protocols projects that have been or protocols or whatever? 80 to 100 at any given time. Some roll off, some roll on. Right. Uh, we probably get about 80 requests a year uh, going through there. Uh, so I am on the IRB. Uh, that was my first step towards getting control of it, is finding out exactly what they were doing. I infiltrated. Uh, <laughs> what is it stand for? Institutional <laughs> Review <laughs> Board. <laughs> Did you say infiltrate? Yes. <laughs> In a sidebar. With yeah. <laughs> but it's keeping so, us alive. I, I, yeah. see. Right. I see. He knows his audience apparently. It was a learning experience. We encourage him. <laughs> since most of their files were manual, it, there was it was very difficult to get information. So by joining the review board, then I got access to all the projects that were uh, going on through there and was able to uh, identify the control steps that uh, needed to, to be put into place. And I worked with uh, Ahmad and with contracting to make sure 
we were all in agreement that this would be the right process to uh, go forward. Okay, so that work is uh, is moving on and, and hopefully will improve greatly with the acquisition of my new person next week. Uh, the other thing is my... A acquisition? Yes. <laughs> yeah, You've got to listen to him carefully. <laughs> no. We don't yeah, have my hiring of a new person next week. Uh, so the other thing is when my internal audit staff resigned back in November, uh, so that leaves me with an opening in internal audit. I still have uh, the manager, hmm. but uh, he's on his own right now. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, so I'm recruiting for an internal audit person. Uh, hopefully we'll get some good candidates uh, in the next few weeks and get somebody on board. Uh, I don't see that as significantly delaying anything. I think we can still get the projects done uh, by, you know, loaning uh, some, some support to him on getting those projects. Uh, so everything should be okay there. So compliance issues. I think we talked about that briefly a while ago. There's a bunch of them. If you right. looked at the dashboard, uh, that was 139 outstanding as of the uh, January 1st or end of December. That is way too high. Uh, so I'm working this next quarter trying to bring that down. Uh, a lot of those are HR issues and uh, we're continually meeting with them to move their projects along, but we also need to address the ones on the compliance side. Uh, there's a lot of things relating to uh, billing, uh, a lot of privacy issues, uh, no matter how much education, it just seems like they keep coming up. and. Some of them, like I said, accidental. Some of them appear to be on purpose uh, or just because they don't know any better. And it's like we've trained them. We're uh, continuing to train them. But then they know better. They should. They need to. That's my opinion, too. But <laughs> I'm giving this, some of them the benefit. Okay. Uh, Follow-up items, uh, down to 11 open issues, with six of them being privacy screens and badge readers and some of the freestanding. Uh, so I did a walkthrough of some of the facilities uh, a couple of weeks ago and cleared some of these issues. I have not done all facilities. And the next trip to each one, I will be following up on these to, to see if I can close any of them out. So this is a report that we've seen now a couple times, and there are a couple remain issues that seem to be unresolved. And I don't know, it's my simpleton way of looking at things, but privacy screens. What is so complicated about Well, so, you know. So the reason that privacy screens were delayed was because people had small monitors and when Epic came around, everyone got the big monitors. Got we didn't want to spend money buying screens for small monitors. 
if they were going to have to be replaced by new ones. Okay. Now, the easier solution is position the monitor so that it's not public facing. Uh, some people came up with that uh, realization and, and modified things, but it's a matter of me walking through to say, yes, I'm comfortable, you've taken corrective action, and I haven't done that yet. In other cases, they've gotten the big glare screens. So uh, it's conceivable that there actually isn't a compliance issue right there at this particular moment. But the, it, the screens are sort of the fail-safe, right? That you're, you're making sure that even if you position the monitor in the wrong place, a new employee comes in and moves it out to, so the public can see it, the screen will uh, add an additional benefit. Well, that plus I so need to... it's not to, as bad as it sounds. Uh, it's, it's not as bad as it sounds. Yeah. And in some cases, it's a matter of me exercising uh, some better judgment. I think that uh, when we did the initial assessments, if I saw one screen, it was like, oh my God, and write them up, and you need glare screens on, on every uh, monitor. And uh, that's really not the case. Uh, just like if I saw one printer in a, an area that uh, was potentially accessible to patients, then I put down that they needed to get. That, that's uh, fair. I mean, you're so continuous quality improvement as well, right? And and say, is this really reasonable or is this secure enough? Right. It's really not accessible to the public. They've done enough stuff here. I Good. can that, clear that, it. That's very helpful. I appreciate you explaining that. So I just have to. I. I think I was overzealous, or my staff was overzealous on the initial assessment. Part is in your job description. Yeah. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think I think it's good to come in hard to begin with. Yeah, yeah. but it was uh, a lot of it was trying to get the point across that yeah. you exactly. don't leave this pile of paper that's claim pronounced with PHI on it sitting on a computer or on a printer yeah, where patients photo. are walking by. Yeah, yeah. And we did see some of that on in the initial assessments. You know, yell the patient's name and diagnose yeah, across, the across the room. <laughs> yes, I can see your monitor, and <laughs> if I had better eyesight, I could read it. <laughs> okay, so that was all I had, unless you had specific questions about some of the written reports. I don't. Committee members? I'm fine. I'm satisfied. Those? Excellent report. I'm satisfied. My first meeting. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, so there was a, an additional item that needed to be addressed, uh, and that would be the schedule going forward. Right, but should we um, get a motion to approve the report, or is it information? Uh, yeah, it was informational. Okay. Yeah, I don't think you have to. Okay. On this one. Great. Then, um, yeah, our next item is the information on the, our committee agenda calendar and follow-up. And as the new chair of the committee, I am, um, and, and after conversation with um, Kinkini, I wanted to bring it up to the other committee members and staff to see if we could change the day and time of the committee because um, just throwing it out there 
and possibly even, as I mentioned before the meeting, even the site of the meeting. So um, I would ask my colleagues on the committee first to weigh in on that. Yeah, I didn't consider Yeah, I, I think the, the reason it was modified before was to try to accommodate uh, uh, some of the trustees' uh, schedules. Right. And then I think what happened this month, for instance, is because I was supposed to be gone on Thursday, which I'm now not, that we decided to change it today. Yeah, that's so my So what our plan was, what our plan had been in the past is to do it be, before uh, finance. We used to do it after finance. But the problem was that finance ended up being so long that uh, you know uh, Rick had to put his night clothes on when he right exactly. <laughs> and what time is finance? Smoking jacket. Is it at four on? It's at four o'clock on Thursdays on the third. Oh wait. It's at four three. Mm, four. It's at four. Yeah. 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 And so I think with the with the budgets again coming up, it's. They're going to be longer. Yeah. Well, I, my proposal is that we have it at the same time as the HR committee meeting uh, in alternate months. It, it, um, the HR committee meets at five o'clock uh, January every quarterly January, April, April, July, and uh, yeah. So your next one is April. So, so you're saying alternate, so so you would do it maybe the second month of each quarter? Well, no, I'd time? keep it on the schedule of the, what is it, the third month, not not have it oh, in the same okay, month, gotcha. but at the same time. But that's what I mean. Oh, okay, so because yeah. you have the second or the third, so the third month, though, but at the same time on Wednesdays at 5? If that works, but that may not work for staff, I, you know, or for committee members, 5 o'clock, tends to have a little more traffic. A little bit. Um, <laughs> of course, I don't know if we'll see any traffic again. So the next one will be uh, June. <laughs> or, yeah, we'll get June. It's going to end June, June 9th. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're probably right. Right. Well, It'd be um, Wednesday, June we'll 10th. Sorry. Yeah. I could make that work. Okay. Um, From my standpoint, I'm totally Particularly if we're yeah. doing it, yeah. if we're going to try to make a San Leandro. Well, no, that's a Coliseum or, site. Right? Yeah, the I, maybe there's a site in San Leandro. That's I'm coming from downtown Oakland, so. Um, you mean the SSC when you say Coliseum site? Yeah. Yeah. yeah SSC. Okay. That's where Rick's office is. Mm -hmm. Ahmad is your office. Mm -hmm. Ahmad's office is there. You're, you have offices everywhere. I can travel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, the question Averse is whether we can do a public meeting there. But um, of if that. Were the case, I know it's it's accessible well, for King Kenny as well. the building we aren't the um, landlord, so just there's no. Is it locked at five? The building? Uh, no, no. So it doesn't yeah, lock until six thirty. Post and yeah, it's open to the public. Oh, David we make mentioned it earlier. that there may we could be facilities do it at four if floor. that's better for staff. Ah, oh, for eighty-eight. I think I think yeah. the issue was around. Although the audio, it's elevators, right. so you could. Yeah, but it it's public access. So gotcha. it needs the room needs to be large enough, I think. Yeah. So the question yeah, that's what I mean. so we, we, we usually do our trainings on the third floor. I don't. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sorry, fifth floor. Uh, so. Oh, but that's fine. Yeah. It's a it's yeah, not it's the floor. a large enough room. Uh, yeah. Usually we rent that out. That's not a floor. No, we rent it out. Yeah, that's what I mean. Oh, we'd have to rent it out for that purpose, or we yeah. Cause not, but if we yeah, use the first floor, it's the same thing. We, if we did it first floor, I suspect it would be yeah. the same thing, right? Yeah. Because that's not our floor. We could do it at Alameda Hospital. There's a big room, but I don't you know. Alameda, or, but that would probably be a more difficult. That's worse. 
Yeah. 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 Not for not for all of us. No, no, no. Yeah, not for all of us. Well, very very personally, it's worse. There's also well, that would be further for you. I was going to say. Where's San Leandro? We have. We could have San Leandro, or eventually we'll have IT moving from Creekside to the, um, oh, to the courthouse building, uh, but that's in Hayward. So I, I mean, I, it sounds like SSC would be, <laughs> it, since we have Ahmad and, and Rick there, and um, I don't know if that's a little too late. Well, I think I, it could I, work. We Why don't we it? explore it? Yeah, oh, I was okay. going to recommend. Explore SSC. Let staff yeah. check it out and see what we can do. And so this meeting has historically been on right before finance, but does this does? No, it is not historically it's been after finance, right. and yeah. we changed it after the new chair year. couldn't keep yeah. control of the committee. So my <laughs> proposal is going to be on the the so first Wednesday at the first or second wait. The first Wednesday of every. Of the month Third beginning in yeah, March, June, June September. Uh, yeah, What's March, June, one? September, and December. It's the second one. November. So it'll be June 10th yeah. because and September 9th and November 11th. Well, that's the second. That's fine yeah. too. It doesn't. I'm I'm available. So. Should we try for that Four schedule? Well, let's five. let's five. Get, let staff gather the right. information. And, and the other question for staff too, especially, but also for you who's traveling, and um, for me, four o'clock I could do. Three o'clock is a challenge. Um, HR meets at five, which seems to be good. I, I King Kenny said that she could do it at, and she actually texted me a little while ago that she couldn't make it today. But I think Wednesday is good for her. She is also on the HR committee, and she's able to make that. Oh wait, is she? She was. So, um, yeah. four or five o'clock? Yeah, so. either would work. Okay, well, let's... I, I, have a, I have a conflict every November because that's the week of my annual ESOP conference, but I went, you know, I'm just not attending. Okay, but not, it doesn't matter the time. You have a conflict the whole week. The, the week of the 11th. So. And then we could just assign things to committee members. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, then that's... That's um, that would be sure great if we can get uh, some feedback on that before uh, June. Good. And then, if there is an issue tracking form, I'm not following it or tracking it. So. There are no issues. No issues. <laughs> <laughs> Compliant. To track. <laughs> There's nothing going on. Uh, so there was one thing that I was uh, I normally do is an orientation for. Uh, internal audit and compliance Great. and since you are the only new member if you would uh, like me to schedule something on that then I would be happy to sit down with you and give you more background on what the committee sure. is and does absolutely that would be great that makes sense um, and I, I, I would recommend that maybe the two of you could also brainstorm tracking issues and develop it because that, that is helpful to have that um, As we do. Maybe not helpful for Rick, but it is helpful, I think, for the committee. And I'll bring you my framed copy of the Stark Rule that I wrote when I was in Washington oh, in '94. Well. Okay. <laughs> that sounds exciting. Well, if you care about physicians referring other people to, for getting paid and kickbacks, it's important, I'm sure. Okay, then, um, thank you, everyone. The meeting's adjourned. Thank you. Thank you.